This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We hope you had a good summer solstice and Father's Day last Sunday. And yes, we're now officially in summer, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. If you're listening in Australia, you know it's now officially winter. That's just how these things go. We know here at Radio Parallax we are currently experiencing a huge backlog of material. Therefore, today, we're just going to randomly slam our way through items that we've been meaning to get to, but just haven't. So we may be a little more disjointed than most, but we still expect to have some of the usual things on the show, like... Our quips and quotes, etc. Good, bad, and the ugly. Maybe a guest or two. In fact, we will have a guest in our third segment. Bob Dunham is going to come back and talk more about financial stuff. And maybe we'll hear from Will Durst as well. Who knows? We'd like to start the program with On This Date in History. And our day today is the 25th of June. It was on June 25th in 1876 at the Battle of the Little Bighorn that Sioux Indians commanded by Chief Crazy Horse defended their encampment against troops led by Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer. As you well know, Custer was defeated. Unlike most battles in the Indian Wars, so-called, in American history, in this case the Indians had arms. Speaking of arms, on June 25th in 1950, the Korean War erupted when North Korean troops crossed the 38th parallel at many points, taking possession of Seoul before the end of June. On this date in 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 decision that the non-denominational prayer allowed in New York State schools was in fact unconstitutional because it violated the separation of church and state. Our quote of the day comes from an unnamed U.S. Air Force wing commander during the Vietnam War. He said, My men grumble that they are frustrated, that there are no good targets left anymore. But I always remind them of the plight of the pilots back in the States. Let's face it, I tell them. Vietnam is the only place in the world today where you can drop real bombs. Our quote of the day comes from Plato, who once said, There are three classes of men, lovers of wisdom, lovers of honor, lovers of gain. Our joke of the day comes from former comedian Dennis Miller, who asked recently, Isn't it ironic that Macaulay Culkin now looks like the kind of guy you'd be afraid would break into your house while you're out of town? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? Our stat of the day is that since Saddam Hussein was toppled in Iraq, the 1.5 million Christians who once lived there have dwindled to 175,000. About 125,000 of those have been driven from their homes by ISIS over the past year. Thank you, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, and the neocons. One hopes the stat is being noted by their fundamentalist Christian supporters. Our anecdote of the week is that uh, several weeks back, former State Senator Rod Wright returned to our state capitol, uh, for an internet poker conference hosted by Capital Weekly. Evidently, representatives from California's gambling industries who worked on several unsuccessful efforts to legalize online gaming when Wright was chair of the Senate Government Organization Committee crowded the Baldwin Hills Democrat offering hugs and backslaps. Wright was convicted last year of eight felonies for lying about where he lived when he ran for office in 2008. 
He resigned from the Senate in September and evidently served 71 minutes in jail. Well, that'll teach him. Wright evidently told the Bee that he misses Sacramento and has returned a few times in recent months to work with formerly incarcerated people, presumably like himself. But he's also enjoying the more relaxed lifestyle, happy to no longer be flying back and forth to Los Angeles. I can't believe I did this crap every week, he said. Go back to Baldwin Hills, jeez. And our good news item of the week is that the oldest person in the world, Geraldine Talley of Michigan, turned 116 earlier this month. The two oldest persons ever known to science, Sarah Naus of Pennsylvania and Janine Calme of France, reached 119 and 122, respectively. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week for smoke screens uh, several weeks back with the news out of Beijing that China is hitting back against U.S. indictments of six of its citizens for economic espionage with a state-run newspaper accusing American authorities of engaging in ethnic persecution of Chinese nationals. Wrote the Global Times, an arm of the Communist Party's People's Daily, the U.S. has a history of indulging in persecution of certain groups of immigrants by using the Espionage Act. We have to admit, in all fairness, that the spies working for the Communist Party of the People's Republic of China might not have been ethnically Chinese necessarily. But darn, it turns out in this case they were. Well, what are you going to do? It was, on the other hand, a bad week for getting the job done with the news that the American Red Cross, which has received almost $500 million in donations to help rebuild Haiti following their 2010 earthquake, has built only six permanent homes. ProPublica.com notes that other charitable organizations with far less money have built 9,000 homes in Haiti. Let's do the math here. Let's say they had half the money of the Red Cross, meaning that we're talking about it'd be a total of $750 million and you build 9,006 homes. That'd be what, like $80,000 a home? Of course, that's not right because no doubt they bought other stuff. We hope... And it was an ugly week a few weeks back, actually for the past several years, in fact, for audiences, with the revelation that since he left office, former President George W. Bush has given at least 200 paid speeches, earning between $100,000 and $175,000 per appearance. Politico.com notes that among those he's addressed were wealth management firms, we presume not about the housing market and uh, finance industry, energy companies, well, that figures, and the Bowling Proprietors Association of America. Bush reportedly told them, bowling is fun. And finally, it was a bad and ugly week for uh, the government in action with the news that a Sacramento appellate court ruled a few weeks back that it was not illegal for former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger to drastically reduce the prison term of Esteban Nunez, son of Fabian Nunez, former Assembly Speaker and Schwarzenegger ally, without, in this case, notifying the prosecutors and crime victims. The appellate court did note that it could be seen as deserving of censure and grossly unjust. Turned out that the younger Nunez stabbed a guy at a party and got sentenced to 16 years behind bars, 
But Schwarzenegger intervened, granting a clemency application to reduce the sentence to seven years. Schwarzenegger signed that executive order on December 30th, 2010, but didn't announce it until hours before he left office on January 2nd. Now, some cynical people would think there's something untoward about this deal and perhaps a quid pro quo in there somewhere. And gosh, we'd hate to make accusations. We would agree with the appellate court that, boy, it could be seen as deserving of censure and grossly unjust. All right, I mentioned at the top of the program we're probably going to speak with Bob Dunham again in segment three. When we last spoke to Bob a couple weeks back, he was talking about these scams that are out there on quick loans. You can get through companies that advertise on television. Well, guess what? Goldman Sachs is apparently moving into online consumer loans. According to the New York Times, Goldman Sachs has spent 146 years largely as the bank of the powerful and privileged. Now the Wall Street powerhouse is working on a new business line, providing loans that can help you consolidate your credit card debt or remodel your kitchen. Radio Parallax predicts with some degree of confidence that somewhere down the road, consumers are going to get screwed by Goldman Sachs. Again. Of course, it should be noted that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. All right, let's talk a little bit about politics. Radio Parallax is very pleased to announce that we will not be bringing onto this program Ken Rudin, the political junkie. Like many of you, no doubt, I was highly annoyed listening to this knucklehead talk to Neil Conan on Talk of the Nation for many years. He tends to lean toward political trivia and simple-minded analysis of the simple-minded actions of simple-minded people, i.e. politicians. When Talk of the Nation went off the air, I thought I was done with his sorry ass. But wouldn't you know it, the good people over at Capital Public Radio have brought him on on a weekly basis to talk to the so-called Insight program. And yes, it turns out he's as crappy as ever. Something we don't find crappy, in fact, we find rather amusing, was the little book titled The Worst Case Scenario Almanac, Politics Edition. We've got idiots like Jeb Bush trying to secure the Republican nomination while (laughs) supposedly distancing himself from the record of his father and brother. By the way, we do want to note, in fairness to Jeb Bush, that among the four Bush brothers, he was always considered the smart one. Then again, as our good pal Will Durst has pointed out, Referring to Jeb Bush as the smart Bush is like referring to Mo as the smart stooge. But at any rate, for uh, the former governor of Florida and election 2000 vote stealer, the legacy of his brother does represent some bad press to start with. So let's see what the almanac has to say about how to respond to bad press. The Almanac's advice included the following. First of all, attack the facts. Have your staffers comb the bad press coverage for even minor mistakes or inconsistencies. Then use these to cast doubt on the entire substance of the coverage, saying that if the reporters can't even get the minor facts straight, how can they be trusted with anything more? Something else you can do? Reframe the situation to stir popular outrage. The Almanac recommends you should stir up your supporters and potential supporters by framing the attack on you as an attack on them, their families, and their deepest held values and beliefs, placing yourself on their side. Say, this is not about me, 
This is about us. Then ask for financial donations and other commitments of support to help you stand up for them against such an outrage. And finally, it recommends you should pit the media against itself. Offer to set the record straight in a special interview or exclusive to a media outlet that is a rival of the magazine, newspaper, or station that has presented the negative press. The coverage will benefit you at the same time it gives the media outlet a chance to make its rival look bad or unreliable, and so is likely to be promoted vigorously. All right, Jeb, you listening? And you know, doggone it, since this little almanac is in my hands, I cannot resist uh, quoting from a couple other sections. For example, their comparison between clean <laughs> For example, their comparison between Queen Elizabeth of England versus President Obiang of Equatorial Guinea. Starting with position, Queen of the United Kingdom versus President of Equatorial Guinea. And their position was gained through in the case of Queen Elizabeth an inherited throne upon the 1952 death of her father, George VI. In the case of President Obiang, he took power by killing his uncle and the country's ruler, Francisco Macias, in a 1979 coup. Regarding their hold on power with Queen Elizabeth, it's a granted position for life. In the case of President Obiang, he won re-election in 2002 with 100% of the vote. Estimated net worth, Queen Elizabeth, $600 million. President Obiang, Six hundred million. This fortune was gained through, in the case of Queen Elizabeth, inheritance and investment. In the case of President Obiang, it was gained through drug trafficking, money laundering, and skimming the nation's oil profits. And finally, among the perks of the two leaders, uh, Queen Elizabeth heads the Church of England. President Obiang has regular direct contact with God, he says, and a license to kill. Rather like James Bond, apparently. All right, continuing the political vein, I want to quote from the book, Duh, The Stupid History of the Human Race, by Bob Fenster. I was rather stunned in conversation with one of our regular contributors recently to note that he is absolutely against California's system of ballot propositions, claiming they do far more harm than good. I told him I was standing by Hiram Johnson and the progressives of the early 20th century, who introduced recall of public officials, referendum on political issues, and a system through which laws could be enacted directly through the public. And what I did not know about uh, Hiram Johnson, one of the leaders of the progressives, was that he missed his chance to become president. Now, as a well-respected California governor, he was a major political figure in the early 19-teens. But it turns out that in the 1920 Republican Convention from which the famous phrase, smoke-filled room, emerged. A great description of how these private entities called political parties actually control our system. But at this 1920 Republican Party convention, Hiram Johnson was offered a chance to run as vice president to Senator Knox of Pennsylvania. Hiram Johnson didn't want to be vice president. He wanted to be president. He said he wouldn't take the second position on the ticket, even though insiders told him Knox wasn't likely to survive a full term because he had a bad heart as those wire pullers in their smoke-filled rooms moved against nominating uh, Senator Knox. Fate offered Hiram Johnson a second shot. Once more, he was asked to take the vice presidential slot, this time under the man who had upset Knox for the nomination, Warren G. Harding. Again, Johnson declined, saying he would take the presidency or nothing. 
Well, it turned out that Warren G. Harding went on to win the general election in a landslide. It is argued by some wags that Harding won because he was handsome and just looked presidential. And not coincidentally, women got the vote for the first time that election. Well, whether that's true or not, it turned out that the vice president elected in 1920 on that ticket was Calvin Coolidge. And so it was in 1923 when Warren Harding dropped dead of a heart attack at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco while returning back to the lower 48 from Alaska. That made Calvin Coolidge and not Hiram Johnson our nation's 30th president. And now you know the rest of the story. Ain't that a shame? My feel like rain. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. My heart, when you see it, we'll part. Ain't a shame, my tears feel like rain. Ain't that a shame, you're the one to blame. Oh, well, goodbye, although I'll cry. Ain't that a shame. My chill feel like